Well, any good theology of the human body could easily begin in our bellies. So if this morning you have a belly, guess what? You are fully equipped to begin thinking theologically. Everybody right at the center of their being has pretty much all it takes to begin the work of theology. Consider your belly button for just a second, sitting there conspicuously right there in the center of your being, that kind of fleshy icon. What could your belly possibly have to tell you about God? What could your belly button possibly have to tell you about God? If nothing else, our belly buttons remind us that we did not create ourselves. No matter what our world tells us about self-made people, our belly button sits there conspicuously reminding us that no matter how clever we are, important we are, wealthy we are, or poor even we are, we did not make ourselves. Our existence isn't because of our own devising or cleverness or planning. We come from somewhere, not because of us. Stare for a second into your belly button. Don't look at me. Stare into your belly button. After you've picked out the lint, <laughs> what does it tell you? Our belly buttons tell us that we all come from somewhere. And that coming from somewhere began in connection to another. But that connection is now severed. Our belly buttons remind us that our origins are in vital connection, but then our origins are in vital connection, but then the rest of our lives we spend feeling cut off and, and disconnected. Now, now I want you to go a little deeper into your belly button, tucked behind your belly button to that place that's rumbling because it's now 1030 on a Sunday morning and you're, you're sitting next to grills um, as you begin to smell uh, that char-grilled uh, flavor of burgers and dogs as your nose noses are being perked and your taste buds are being enlivened this morning. Sit with that hunger, that growling that you feel. Sit with it for just a second. Whether you're craving a hot dog with all the fixings or pasta salad or double fudge brownies, what could our hungers possibly tell us about God? Well, the Bible seems to think an awful lot, actually. Time and time again in this grand story of God trying to reconnect with us, the story finds itself centered around a table Food is often involved in this divine story, and we see this from cover to cover of the Bible. Right at the very beginning of the biblical narrative in the garden, the first thing that disconnects us, that cuts us off, was centered on what? Eating the fruit. Israel, when they learned to rely on God for their very sustenance, when they were cast out into the wilderness after being in bondage in Egypt, how do they learn to rely on who God is? But through manna, daily provisions. The highest praise that the psalmist offers to God is 
that God fills us with all good things. Now, just in in case you think it's only the Old Testament, you come to the New Testament and Jesus seems to just magnify eating. He begins his ministry by going out into the wilderness and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights as though he's going head on with his hunger. He comes back from that wrestling with his own hungers and his first sermon begins with the words, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In Luke's gospel, Luke cuts out the thirst for righteousness part even and just says, blessed are you who hunger. Any good theology of the body has to begin in our bellies and scripture seems to meet us there particularly the Gospel of Luke. I don't know if Luke was hungry when he wrote his Gospel or what, but he just never seems to move much beyond the topic of food. He mentions food or eating over 80 times. Every time you turn around, Jesus is at the table handing out bread, cooking some fish, passing a cup. It's it's like Jesus is this short order cook at Waffle House and Luke is just bellied up to the bar to just get some of that food. And so this summer, as we tune into Luke's summer stories and embark on this road trip through Luke's processing of the person of Jesus, I can almost imagine us stopping for gas at a Wawa, walking out with a Slurpee and a bag of Cheetos and some Swedish fish as we settle in for the long haul on the winding roads of Luke's gospel. Which brings me to our scripture today. This morning's passage right in the middle, right in the belly of Luke's gospel is all about hunger. Jesus is invited to eat at the house of a Pharisee. Jesus truthfully will eat with just about anybody. Maybe that's enough theology in and of itself for us today, but... He goes and he finds himself a place at the table. And before long, this woman of the city, a working girl, finds her way to the table, busts her way into the dining room, and she just makes a scene. She starts weeping and pouring herself out at Jesus' feet and washing his feet with her tears and then then drying his feet with her hair. Let me tell you, this is not some sort of ancient world liturgy that we're unfamiliar with. This is, in fact, awkward. Whatever, whatever the word in the Greek for awkward was, that's, that's what's being murmured around this table while Jesus sits there with his, this woman who's just pouring herself out. The meal kind of stops and everyone swallows hard and then they turn to Jesus and expect him to do something. Why don't you just get rid of this woman? Jesus looks around the table at everyone stuffing their face and he looks down at this woman who's broken, who's starving to be reconnected, starving for forgiveness. And there around the table, Luke once again shows us that Jesus does his best theology over lunch. He leads this group in a theology of the body. Now, don't get lost in the whole economic parable in the middle of the text, the one about the two debtors. Did you hear it a few minutes ago? A creditor 
had two debtors and one of them say owed about $50,000 and the other one owed about 500 bucks and he forgives both their debts and asks, now, who do you think would have been more grateful? And the people around the table don't have to look up from their plate to answer this question. With mouths full, um, they just say, well, Jesus, of course, of course the one who owed him 50000 would be more grateful. And Jesus looks down at the woman who's starving for forgiveness, starving for a new beginning. And he says, I, I came in here and you were happy to sit down and eat with me, but you've acted like it was no big deal. But this woman... Her hunger is palpable. They, they all turn back to their food and he turns back to the woman and says, Woman, your sins are forgiven. You have a new start. You've been reconnected. And it's like the psalmist's words sort of just echo through the banquet hall. The living God fills us with all good things. Jesus' words come to fruition. Blessed are you who hunger. And she's raised up a new person right there at the table. And everyone else just missed it because they were so full on the food that was before them. If you don't make the connection right away today, if you don't, if you don't get the connection today between food and theology... Maybe I, I have to suggest that it's because we have never truly been hungry. If the other connection, though, for you is easier to make, the one of pouring yourself out at Jesus' feet and needing reconnection, needing a new beginning, a new reconciliation, a new forgiveness, might I propose that's, that's where our hunger most readily resides. But the two are not to be disconnected. Our eating is profoundly theological and our theology takes shape at the table. The goal of the Christian life, the goal of everything we do, the goal of following Jesus is deeper communion, deeper connection with God and one another. The goal of the Christian journey is to return us to our origin of connection. And folks, I've got to tell you, we are way behind the eight ball. We've got a long, long way to go to find the fullness of communion that is offered to us in Christ. And if I can be completely honest on this July 3rd, one day before Independence Day, although I relish the opportunity to gather around the table for a community cookout with you today, I, I deeply struggle with Independence Day, mainly because the way we celebrate it and glorify it doesn't seem to inspire a return to our origin of connection. It doesn't seem to speak to America's malnutrition. Our, our patriotism and nationalism have become dangerous things because 
they've led us in this amnesia about our nation's history and they've prevented us from seeing pain and even hope beyond our own borders. Like the Pharisees stuffing their faces at the table with Jesus, we completely miss our own starvation, America's malnutrition and opportunity for transformation because we're so full on the food that's before us. We're taught to feast on independence rather than interdependence. And a love of independence and individualism always comes at a price because in this wealthy and industrialized country, we have become the richest people in the world with some of the highest rates of loneliness and depression and suicide. We are rich and sad and lonely. We are living into patterns that not only leave much of the world hungry for bread and starved for justice, but also leave us longing for this good life we can't seem to ever obtain. Leave us longing for meaning and purpose beyond ourselves. America is starving for communion, starving to be returned to our common human origin of connection with God and neighbor. And this is why the modern day theologian Shane Claiborne encourages us to listen to our hunger pains. Listen as a country to our country's hunger pains. Shane Claiborne leads us in a theology of our national body. Claiborne encourages us to lay aside independence and begin to raise a different flag this July 4th. Interdependence Day, as he calls it, recognizes the fact that we are part of a global table, tunes us into our deepest hungers and need for confession, returning us to that origin in our bellies of connectedness. For Claiborne, this is not about being anti-American. Don't get me wrong and don't get him wrong. But it's about being pro-world. It's a beautiful thing to realize that we need each other, that we are not alone, and that what brings us together is our origin 